Good morning, Chapel Hill. Awfully good to have as part of our time together just uh, that statement that we have a blessed assurance. Um, takes me back a ways. It really does. And I almost, almost felt like I needed a hymnal in my hands. Um, I was in, a, in an old, old church in downtown Minneapolis this past week, and uh, it, it very much had that feel like there's, there were hymnals in the pews, on the back of the pew in front of you, and, and all that kind of stuff. It just, it was, it, yeah, there were a lot of hymns going through my head during that time. It was great. All right, um, speaking of things in the pews that we don't have, um, you need a Bible. So go ahead and get your Bibles out, open up your Bible app. If you do not have a Bible with you, you're going to need one to follow along in. So if you don't have one, just put your hand up. And our ushers are coming around. They have Bibles that you can use to follow along in. And uh, if you, are, you do not currently have a Bible of your own and you're receiving one of those Bibles that we're handing out, just keep it and take it with you. Um, our word for the day, our word for the week, our word for about four weeks here is the word flourish. Flourish. It's a great word, isn't it? Flourish. Um, there's something about that word that just draws us to it. I want to flourish as a person. I want to experience the fullness of the life that Jesus intends for me. I want to embrace the value that my life has. I want to live out my purpose. I want to make a difference. I want to honor God with the life that he's given me. He has a plan for it. And I want to live daily in that reality. That's flourishing. That's what we've been talking about here. Uh, remember this seed in the soil last week? We, uh, we planted some more seeds here on Wednesday, by the way. We had a family night in here on Wednesday night, and it was a service night, and we did all kinds of different projects. And one of the things that we got to do was uh, plant some seeds for tomatoes and peppers and some other things that are going to go in our garden that we use to donate to the open door and then um, bring some color to our property here. And it was just fun to, to be back in that, to, to have our, our hands in the dirt and plant a whole bunch of stuff. So go back to that, the soil in the seed, consumed by the seed in the soil, sorry, not the soil in the seed, consumed by the soil and totally dependent on that soil. That's me. That's you. That's where our flourishing begins. We die to self in that soil that is God. An actual seed planted in the soil, has enough internal energy in it to live long enough to break out of its shell and reach out and embrace the soil around it. It has that energy wired into it. Once that energy is used up, the seed becomes entirely dependent on the soil around it. And we're like that, I think. Every human being was created in the image of God, and every one of us has the ability to reach out to God and enter into that dependence on him, where we fully embrace him and all that he has. And then plants grow naturally. They just grow. There's always something going on throughout their lives. They're alive Things are happening. Sometimes the roots are going deeper. Sometimes the branches are extending farther. Sometimes the plant is producing fruit. At all times, life is flowing through them. There's something going on. Now something, one of many, many things that sets us apart from plants, is the fact that there are ways in which we as people 
are being asked to contribute to that growth, to that flourishing. That's what we're going to look at this morning. We have been given some amazing, practical, clear guidance on what we can do to supplement our flourishing. This is really encouraging. It's very challenging, of course. Um, I think anytime God asks us to do something, he gives us some instructions. There's a challenge to it. There always is. But this is really encouraging. So turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to spend some time absorbing what Peter has to say to the church about flourishing. We're going to read 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 to 15. Um, I'm going to read this morning from the New Living Translation. When I plan to read a longer passage in here with you, um, I will often go to the New Living Translation just because it's a little more readable. It's a little easier to read and just to listen to uh, than the ESV, which is a little bit more accurate than the NLT, but the ESV is a little harder to read. And so um, last week I read from the NLT and, and I forgot to tell you. Sorry about that. Um, but today you know, reading from the New Living Translation, Translation. This is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 15. This is what Peter writes. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. This is our part. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you've been taught, and it is only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. For our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. So I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I am gone. All right. Um, I'm excited to work through this with you. There is a lot here. There's so much room for us to grow here. And God's given us some very clear direction in these verses um, he has a great plan for us. We're going to really dig into verses 5 through 7 this morning, but let's do a bit of setup before we do. What do verses 3 and 4 have to say to us? All right, well, verse 3 right away points to God's power. 
It is by his power and from his infinite resources that God causes us to flourish. He is always, always the source of our flourishing. He is the all-sufficient soil that consumes us. Peter says that God gives us everything we need for a godly life, a flourishing life. When we come to know God, who he is, what he's done, what he's capable of, we gain access to his power. And then in his generosity, he makes promises to us. Okay, like what? What promises does God make that are related to our flourishing? Well, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes that the giving of gifts, something that he had just written about in that chapter, will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. In Philippians 1, verse 6, Paul said that he was certain that God who began the good work within us will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus returns. God promises to give us everything we need for our growth, for our maturing, for our flourishing. He enables us to share in his nature. How generous is that? To share in God's nature and escape the world's corruption. Now, how then can we cooperate with him in this process? He promises to do these things. He continues. He promises to continue the work that he's doing in us. But now he's going to give us some guidance on how we can work with him, how we can cooperate with him in what he's doing in us to bring about this flourishing. So let's spend some time answering that in verses 5 through 7 of 2 Peter 1. In view of this, respond to God's promises, Paul says. How? Supplement, supplement your faith, add to your faith. And this part is on us. This is a set of instructions to follow. The things Peter mentions are available to us as part of God's provision for us. They come from him. He makes them available, but these are things that we go get. This is where we acknowledge God and his plans for us. We acknowledge that he has what we need to flourish. And we seek the things that he puts before us, the godliness that he desires for us. It's his power, his provision. And those things meet our desires, our efforts to seek him in his kingdom. Peter says, make every effort to pursue this. Put some energy into this. Commit to this. Put time into it. Focus on it. Do something. Move in this direction, but pursue this. So let's get to it. Um, look at verse 5. What are we to supplement our faith with? The first thing that Peter adds is moral excellence. And what this is talking about is a virtuous course of thought, feeling, 
and action. A virtuous course of thought, feeling, and action. This is about thinking, feeling, and choosing the right things. And interestingly, this seems to apply directly to our soul. The part of us that's being transformed daily. Our mind, our emotions, our will, our our ability to make decisions. This applies to our soul. Moral excellence is setting our minds on Christ Even taking on the mind of Christ, which the Bible teaches us is part of our transformation. The mind of Christ becomes our mind. It transforms our minds. Who or what shapes our thinking? Are we taking every thought captive like the Bible teaches us to do? When the Bible tells us to think about things that are true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable, things that are excellent and worthy of praise, are we? How do we engage our emotions intentionally and not just let them run wild and give in to every emotion that comes at us? What, what fires you up? What gets you going emotionally? Are we striving for excellence emotionally? And I... I don't mean here, are we happy all the time? Are we just experiencing happiness 24-7? I have been part of a a small men's group for about two months now, and we're in the process of discovering and declaring who we really are, how God made us, and what is it that he's calling us to. One of the exercises that we did this past week was looking at a long list of values and identifying which ones create a response in us. So we were just to react um, right off the bat to this list of values, and each time you get to one, you just think, does that get me going emotionally, or does it not? Do I move on to the next one? It was a huge list. Uh, That's an exercise that helps us gain an understanding of our emotions. We're to choose excellence in our emotions, among other things in our lives. And of course, moral excellence speaks to our decision-making. What are we choosing to do? How are we choosing to spend our time, our resources, our energy? Are we simply living reactive lives, allowing ourselves to be bounced around by our circumstances? Or are we striving for moral excellence? In response to God's promises to refine us and finish the work that he started in us, Are we cooperating with him in that process? Or are we being shaped by him in one way and working against him in the way we think and feel and act? Supplement your faith, Peter says, with moral excellence. This is a step towards flourishing. Then Peter transitions from moral excellence to knowledge. We're to supplement our moral excellence with knowledge. So let's deal with the the temptation here right away. This is not about accumulating more information, becoming more knowledgeable in the sense that first comes to mind when we hear the word knowledge. It's not just about going out and learning random facts and taking in as much information as we possibly can. We have to practice the discipline here of keeping what we're reading in this verse, in the context in which it was written. Peter is talking about moral wisdom here, not just random information stockpiling. In light of what's being stated through terms like moral excellence and self-control, which is coming next, what is this 
knowledge that he's talking about. This knowledge is truly wisdom regarding God's will, God's way. This is the kind of knowledge that helps us develop moral excellence and self-control. This is the kind of knowledge that helps us transform as followers of Jesus. God gives us this wisdom when we ask. Now, he promised that. This is one of the clearest things that God promised. He said that if we ask for wisdom, he'll give it to us. That's something he'll do. He gave us already his spirit to guide us into all truth, into all knowledge in this sense, according to the kind of knowledge that he wants to give us. Now, in the past few years, I've, I've seen a new kind of thinking emerge that really brings us back to the way I think that God wants us to receive knowledge. Um, it's a balanced kind of knowledge that's been really encouraging. Let me give you a, a couple of examples. Um, you just heard about one this morning when Elise was up here doing the welcome. She talked about a series that we're offering that we've, we've done and we're offering it again. It's a series called Grace Truth. It's about an approach to the people around us that empowers us to extend the kind of grace that Jesus extended, but not compromise biblical truth, God's truth. Um, I can't encourage you strongly enough to go through this series yourself, and you'll see what I mean when you get into it. It is well worth it. And then on Tuesday this past week, I attended a one-day conference called Compassion and Conviction. Same principle. How do we maintain our biblical convictions but also extend godly compassion to those that we may not share a common perspective with? This is the kind of knowledge that I think we should all be seeking. I think this is what we're being instructed to add to our moral excellence. I think this is something that will help us develop self-control. That's the next thing on Peter's list. We add self-control. We supplement our lives with self-control. And let's be clear. This is all about mastering our sinful desires and passions. That's the self-control he's talking about. This is part of what we contribute to our own flourishing. Self-control. It's something that only we can do if we ignore this and continue to give in to our sinful desires and passions, you know how hard it is to just ignore that? <laughs> Something falls off a chair behind me while I'm on stage and there's not supposed to be anyone back here. <laughs> Speaking of ignore, if we ignore this and continue to give in to our sinful desires and passions, we cannot flourish. It will not happen. Our growth is stunted. No matter how much information we take in, no matter how much time we spend in Christian environments, no matter how many podcasts we listen to, no matter how many Christian teachers we follow, we're not flourishing until we start making choices not to give in to our sinful desires and passions. Our sinful desires make us weaker by owning us, by sucking our strength away from us, by distracting us from the things that can actually bring us flourishing. At some point, 
We have to have the courage to identify our own sinful desires and passions. Maybe it's lust, greed, selfishness, gluttony, entertainment. What is it? What is it for you? Self-control is the process of dying to ourself and our self's need for sinful things. When we do, that freedom brings us flourishing. The next step on Peter's list is supplementing that self-control with patient endurance. Patient endurance. Moral excellence, knowledge, and self-control are very difficult places to start, so I'm not at all surprised that God led Peter to now add patient endurance to the list. What is it that will help us stay the course in our struggle to gain moral excellence, knowledge, and self-control? Peter simply adds patient endurance. Not patient endurance in our thoughts, our emotions, our decisions, our quest for knowledge, our attempts at self-control. This transcends those things. This is bigger than those things. I think we're being redirected for a moment here in this progression that we're seeing in this passage. We're being pointed back to our foundation. We're being directed in such a way that we won't start taking credit for our impressive success at mastering moral excellence, gaining heaps of knowledge, and winning at self-control. This is a time to go back to our central purpose of reflecting the image of God. It's hard to reflect an image that you've completely lost sight of. This is the time to stare into the face of God and recommit to being his image bearer. If all that flourishing does is make us a better version of ourselves, it's not worth it. We're intended to reflect the image of our creator, and that takes time. And so I'm being called here to be patient in that process and to persevere through that process. How committed am I to flourishing? Well, at this point, then, I need to check my bearings. I am proud of the image I bear. How can I not be? It's God's image. So I will endure and trust his work in my life. Well, then there's godliness to add to our already impossible list of things that we're supposed to supplement our faith with. No big deal, right? We just need to be like God. In fact, Peter could have obviously quit right here. Just be like God and you'll flourish. But that's not quite what he's getting at here. This is about something other than our actions or behavior. This is all about reverence. This is not about our efforts, the changes that we're making. This is about taking a step deeper into our understanding of, our awe towards, our worship of God. Remember last week we talked about worship being the starting point of flourishing? That's where this passage just landed. Remember whose image we bear. His heart is our standard. His will, his ways... And he is the one with the power to bring about this flourishing in us. He is. So focus on him. Revere him for who he is. 
Okay, watch how this takes an external turn now. So far we've been focused on what's happening in us. Now we're going to look at what's, what happens through us, a critical part of our flourishing. Peter now directs us as part of our flourishing process to supplement our lives with a love for our eternal family. We're to share with God his love for his family. Moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, endurance, all about me, and it's okay, this is what God instructed, but flourishing doesn't happen without an authentic outward focus. Right now, that focus is the people sitting all around you and beyond to God's global church. Peter got this because Peter knew what it meant to receive grace as an adopted son, a member of God's family. He understood what it meant to receive that grace. We have to see that each one of us is laboring down this path that we call flourishing. Every one of us is being transformed and every single one of us is making mistakes along the way. Can't say this strongly enough. Your brothers and sisters are in the process of having God restore his image in them. Love build up, encourage, pray for, and extend grace to them because they too are being transformed. When I worked through that list of values that I was telling you about this past week for the little men's group that I'm in, they had you narrow it down, um, this full page, four columns of these, these words, and they had you narrow it down to what your top two were. What are the two things that get you going the most? Um, grace was one of my top two. Whenever I think of grace, obviously it fires me up emotionally. Because <laughs> at some point we have to grasp the fact that God is all the time extending an enormous amount of grace to you and me. He does not sit there and judge. He does not criticize, chastise, shame. His grace towards us is sufficient. Jesus said that to Paul. Also a man full of mistakes and weaknesses and flaws. And Jesus said, my grace, Paul, is sufficient for you. So when I think about the context of us loving each other, having brotherly affection towards each other and God's family, loving each other as family, as brothers and sisters in Christ, Nothing takes the place of grace on that list of priorities. We have to extend grace to each other. In a time when division has taken over our culture, 
This is a time for us to step fully into our role as image bearers and understand that the one whose image we bear, there is no limit to the grace that he extends to us. And so we extend grace to each other because every one of us is being transformed. And we need to receive that grace from each other just as much as we need to receive it from God. Now, I absolutely love where this list of flourishing agents ends. Supplement your flourishing with love for everyone. Agape love, unconditional love, boundless love. Add this. This love wasn't something so simple that it, it's listed first and expected to be part of our quest for moral excellence. Peter didn't say first, love everyone. We start with right and wrong and we grow towards actually loving everyone. Every life has value. Every human being was born in the image of God and is loved unconditionally by God. But how often do we stop at morality? We're better than those who are not pursuing this kind of transformation. So pat your own back. And we're being directed to not just stop there. We're being directed to take a journey that leads to love for everyone. There's a lot more great stuff in our passage I would encourage you to take the time to dig into it yourself. Peter says that the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful that you'll be. That's flourishing. He tells us to work hard. This is not a passive process. It involves our engagement, our effort, our pursuit, our prioritizing. So based on that need to work hard, let me ask you this. What's your next step? Let's create an action plan this morning. Where do you go with this? Walk away and go, well, that was interesting, that's challenging, that's encouraging, and then drop it. There's so much here that we can use to formulate an actual practical plan in our lives. And that's what I would encourage you to do. It's what I've got to do. So let me give you a little bit of direction on formulating this action plan. How about starting by assessing our level of moral excellence? Are my thoughts virtuous? Are my feelings virtuous? Are my actions virtuous? How about asking God for that knowledge, that wisdom that he promises to give us? When and how will I do that? How about identifying and declaring war on our sinful desires and passions? We have to pray against them. We need to take steps to eliminate things in our lives that feed those desires. Even if that thing is your phone. We need to develop new God-centered desires. What does that look like for you? What does it look like for me? Persevere. Take note of the basic principles of your faith, the core things that you believe, 
and recommit to them. Take a step in your reverence for God. Look back at last week's message and expand your worship. Plan a demonstration, a practical demonstration of love for a brother or sister in Christ. Be intentional about that. And love everyone. And listen, there's plenty of things that each one of us could do in this category, right? Love everyone in a non-creepy way. Start seeing the people around you more clearly. Look at them. Look them in the eye. Treat every single person you encounter with dignity. God promises to continue working with us to bring us flourishing. So church, let's work with him. Let's take up this task with him. We all know how important flourishing is to us. It's important to God as well. Jesus came to give us abundant life, flourishing life. So let's partner with him in that lifelong process. I'm going to invite our worship team to come up now as we close our time together this morning. But let's spend a moment as we do in prayer together. So will you bow with me in prayer? And yes, this morning I want you to take a moment once again just between you and God. I don't want this, this time to just slip by. I don't want this to be something you just hear. I want this to be something we all engage in. So I want you to take this time in prayer before God on your own. Out of all that you've heard this morning and all that we see in this passage from 2 Peter 1, what is God laying on your heart right now? How does he want you to supplement these things to your faith? I'm inviting you right now to take a moment and commit to him. Commit something to him. Say, God, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to supplement moral excellence, patient endurance, brotherly affection, love for everyone, whatever it is that God's laid on your heart this morning, commit that to him right now. Father, I come before you this morning with gratitude in my heart once again. Sometimes it's really hard to thank you for things that cut deeply, that go straight to my heart, that challenge and convict me. Because there's a lot that you've convicted me with regarding the passage we've been looking at this morning. But I thank you for that. Because you haven't just left, left us alone and declared to us, this is as good as it gets. This is as good as you get. Just try to live satisfied in who you are. By your power, 
you have made everything available to to us that is necessary to live a godly, flourishing life. And I thank you for that. I thank you for your promises, promises that what you've started in us, you are going to keep doing. What you're doing in me will continue until the day that Jesus returns. I thank you that that gives us so much to look forward to as we look down the road of our lives and know that we haven't reached the goal. We haven't become the best version of ourselves that we're ever going to be. We live this life in process with an ever-increasing brightness way that we reflect your image. So God, I ask that you would just continue this work that you've started. We're, we're counting on that promise. Show each one of us individually what it is that you want us to, to supplement to our faith right now. Keep transforming us, God. Keep shaping us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the desire that you have for us to live flourishing, abundant lives. You've shown us our part in this and just how much you bring to the table, how much you give us, how generous and gracious you are with us. Now, God, call each one of us specifically into what you would have us do right now to cooperate with you in this process. We are yours. We long and desire to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. So keep working on us, God. We love you. We're grateful for you. So glad for the things that you're doing in us. Thanks for promising to continue. Now we engage with you more than ever in the process. And we do this in the name of Jesus Christ, the one that we want to reflect so well. We do this, we pray this in his name.